It took U.S. intervention, Colombia, and rival cartels to take one person down. Welcome back to another episode of All Booked, Sterling Municipal Library's podcast, where we talk to you about the books we'd like to recommend. And Kathy is joining us with a nonfiction title. It is Pablo Escobar. How about you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So it is called Pablo Escobar, My Father, and it is actually written by Juan Pablo Escobar, which is his son, who is now 44 years old. And... He actually legally is not named Juan Pablo Escobar anymore. His name is Sebastián Marroquín because after some things happened, you know, (laughs) Pablo Escobar, he and his family were on the run and they all had to change identities. So Mm -hmm. him, his mother, and his girlfriend at the time, who is now his wife, all had to change their identities. So really interesting that he kind of published it as, you know, Juan Pablo Escobar and is kind of digging back into his roots. So how about you tell us, like, what span of years does this cover? So this covers all of it. Okay. And this is exactly why I wanted to pick it up. So I am a true crime fan, but again, I don't really read nonfiction. But I became engulfed with Narcos um, yeah, on yeah. Netflix. <laughs> And I loved it. And I just had so many unanswered questions because the show kind of starts whenever Pablo is already up there and both of actually his son is already born and then his daughter is shortly born after. So it doesn't really start from the beginning. So I finished the show and I loved it. I just had so many questions just because a lot of it just seemed so unreal to me because yeah. I was born in the late 90s. So I grew up with a lot of technology and with crime handled a lot differently than the way this was handled. So a lot of it just kind of would go over my head. Like, how could Pablo Escobar have have gotten away with so much? And mm-hmm. so I picked this up because a lot of Goodreads reviews said that there's many books about Pablo, but that his son was actually the one that wrote the most accurate one. Even though he was pretty young for a yeah. lot of these events, he did make a lot of trips and did a lot of research, visited a lot of his dad's old accomplices and even people that were victims of his crimes and, you know, just got information to kind of have that closure and also to put it in the book. So how much does he talk about like his childhood and how much he was aware of what was happening? He does. He talks about his childhood, but then he also talks a lot about his dad's childhood, which was really interesting to me because that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to know how did Pablo Escobar get to the point where he was the top cocaine trafficker in the world? And it was pretty interesting because Pablo Escobar was a teen in the 60s and He and his family had settled in this town in Colombia, and his mom was a teacher, and his dad was a farmer, and he was really close to his cousin, and they would do a lot of little, like, dirty work, pesky things. Like, whenever they were in high school, they actually, like, broke into their principal's office, stole a bunch of diplomas that were already sealed, and then started selling them. So there was actually a lot of students that graduated. From high school, properly, they have the diploma to prove it, but that didn't actually 
graduated. So that was one of his little dirty works that he would do. They would steal from stores. They would hotwire cars. At one point, they were even selling gravestones that they would steal oh, God. and then oh, repurpose until people, like, found out. And so, yeah, him and his cousin just had these, like, little, you know, like, fingers to just want to go and, mm-hmm. and do bad things, which eventually led him to start moving drugs. And so... Um, In the 70s, he was in his 20s, and that's when he really started taking off. So at a pretty young age, he started making quite a bit of money. And then by 1980, 1981, he was considered the top cocaine drug trafficker in the world. At one point, he did have labs and he would formulate the cocaine. But then he got to a point where he was so good at moving drugs that he was like, I can literally make so much money by not even making the cocaine, just just charging it. people to mm-hmm. move it to where they want it to go. And they really couldn't do anything without Pablo. He was the one that was able to move the cocaine anywhere pretty much in the world that she wanted to. He built these insane connections, which just made him an insane amount of money. And through this process, he still had his... Family. So Juan Pablo talks about his childhood and how growing up. So Juan Pablo was born in 1977. So his dad was top cocaine trafficker in the 80s. So early on in Juan Pablo's life, I mean, he's always grown up a super wealthy kid. Yeah. And that was also something that was really interesting to read about in the book that he just... As a child, you don't understand, especially when you grow up with money. Another thing that he said that his dad was very, very good about not disclosing the dirty work to his family. Because I was wondering that. Yeah. Even though, like, his mom, his wife were aware, you know, how are you making millions of dollars Mm -hmm. in a day? Hmm. You know, I'm pretty sure it's not by, like, selling phone books or something. (laughs) So, according to Pablo, it was because he had a very wealthy uh taxi business oh. taxi so, yes a taxi business you he know had, at least he's trying to tell the truth yes a little bit and he had land property everywhere you know to you know to kind of clean his money but one of my favorite parts of the book of just something that i just wanted to read that was just my favorite it's called excess and it's literally juan pablo just saying things from his childhood and of his family that he didn't understand was excess until he was older. So his first thing that he says is, On my ninth birthday in 1986, I received a unique gift. I was too young to understand at the time, but it was a small chest containing original love letters written by Manuelita Sáenz to the great Latin American liberator Simón Bolívar, he was also given several of Simon Bolivar's medals and even the sword of Simon Bolivar, Whoa. which, of course, Pablo had stolen all it, of this. It also just feels like a weird gift for a nine-year-old, like a chest of love letters. And that was also something that was very interesting to me from the show, but also reading this. Pablo was so creative. He mm-hmm. loved to read. He was extremely smart. Whenever he would become invested in something he was like a librarian he would Mm -hmm. do all of this research so he talks a lot about the napoles estate which is basically like a huge plot of land that they had which was their place where they spent the most time before they went on the run 
And they, like, made this their paradise. They had, I think he said, 27 artificial lakes by the time that he was 11. Yeah, right here. He had nearly 30 high-speed motorcycles along with the best motorbikes that his dad had gifted him. He had three zoos on this one residence. And whenever they were bringing over the animals, one thing that I thought was really interesting is that he became so invested in this that his dad started doing so much research as to what kind of animals could live in that geographical area because he only wanted to bring in animals that could yeah. survive. And mm -hmm. so he had to learn what they would eat, what kind of climate. And so he was going to do his research before he brought animals here, which he actually smuggled elephants through Dallas, Texas. How? You see, it's just like <laughs> me like reading... This is just wild. Some Actually, incredibly large crates. They're yeah. Just like, don't mind that. Yeah, like. don't mind that. We're just going to drive this through Texas really quick. His whole family actually flew out there for that to see the animals. And politics. He was extremely into politics and would read so much just about the legal proceedings of all of these different countries and just staying up to date with everything that was going on in the world one because he was genuinely interested in another reason because he had to exactly for his own. if you're keeping your network running you've got to be exactly on for his own protection but eventually and his son describes pablo's downfall from all of the excess and all of the luxuries you know in the 80s they're doing amazing they're i think in the 80s they were pablo was considered the fourth richest man in the world wow. so he was set. Yeah. And he actually had a clean slate because he had make sure he had made sure to wipe all of his he had only been arrested once and he had made sure that that was actually wiped clean so that you know what he was doing was just, you know, between him and his network group of people and his downfall came in the mid-80s, whenever his son says that his biggest mistake was becoming so engulfed in politics that mm. he decided to run as a politician. Okay. And he was so mm -hmm. obsessed with becoming the president of Colombia one day that he started running as a candidate. And so whenever you run as a candidate, <laughs> that puts some exposure on yeah, you. Yeah. People start digging things up. And just about... Anybody that you would ask in his family amongst his networks warned him, like, do not do that or <laughs> this will be the end of us. And sure enough, his son says that his father's biggest mistake was getting involved in politics. And he had actually been elected and he was an elected official. And then whenever he showed up and started embedding himself into the political world, all of these dirty trafficking secrets started coming to light and it started to be proven. And mm. so it just enraged Pablo so much that another thing about Pablo is he couldn't take any kind of, he was like a brick wall. He couldn't take any kind of feedback or any kind of humiliation. To him, it was like, if you crack a joke at me, then you must die. <laughs> like, wow. literally, his own workers couldn't beat him, wouldn't beat him at soccer games just because they were like, he, he can't lose. Because if he does, we could probably die. And so it was the same. He saw the same with people in power. He felt like he was so powerful 
that if somebody tries to take me down, I'm going to try to take them down 10 times harder. And it's really interesting how his son kind of discusses that. And that was what was most interesting to me was he was powerful and he did do a ton of harm to the government. I mean, he launched essentially a mini civil war in Colombia and was able to bribe and destroy politics for a very long time until, you know, U.S. intervention stepped in and, you know, everybody kind of started working together, even with it took U.S. intervention, Colombia and rival cartels to take one person down Mm -hmm. over a span of years because he died in 1990 from 81 to 1993. He was this top of the line guy and it took that long to be able to take him down and just the whole process of it. I don't know if y'all have watched Narcos. I but have not watched Narcos. It, it was actually pretty. There was a lot of things that were pretty spot on uh, based on what I was reading from what his son says. It was more so that it was accurate, but they couldn't put everything into the right. show. It would have been impossible just because mm-hmm. Pablo did so much and did so much in excess that it was just impossible to reflect. I don't even, I don't think any production would have the budget <laughs> to literally, you know, show what it was that, so that Pablo did. So you said that he shielded his family from, you know, some of his underhanded dealings. Did his son ever suspect? Was there a point where he started putting some puzzle pieces together? So once his son started becoming a little bit older, he did kind of have to become involved because there was a period in time whenever there was just all-out war in Colombia between Pablo Escobar, rival cartels, rival groups, and the government, and everybody was just taking hits on everybody. No politician was safe, no narco was safe, and no narco's families were safe, especially Pablo Escobar's son. So there was about five attempted kidnappings on his wow. son, even at very young ages. So he was always on extreme high alert, even in his very young years. I think he was 16 whenever Pablo died. And he just recalls that whenever he would go anywhere, that his girlfriend was just like, would casually like walk through places with not a care in the world. And he would say things like, you know, as she's walking and just like enjoying the view. I'm walking and I'm looking at license plates. I'm looking at cars. I'm looking at the amount of people in a car. I'm looking at anybody who makes eye contact with me. And that just, that's psychological oh, yeah. damage yeah. at that point to where you feel unsafe at any given point in time. And once he reached him more of his teen years, his dad did start revealing more stuff to him in terms of where money was, some of his business dealings. And then... He said that his dad got to a point where he knew he was going to die. Pablo would write a lot, and he loved to write letters, extremely heartfelt letters. He was a very emotional man. He was a very affectionate man to his wife and to his kids. So he would write his son letters, just telling him how much he loved him, but also kind of like revealing things and revealing secrets. So that was also another way that his son was able to find out what truly happened and what was really going on in his dad's mind. Another thing that his son talks about, which was actually really sad to me, was another thing that his son mentions that was actually really sad to me. So when his little sister was born, 
was whenever the war was already starting between Pablo and the government. So his sister, Manuela, grew up a fugitive since Mm -hmm. birth. So at three months old, she was taken away from her family to live with family members because they were in hiding. There was a period of time where she never left a building for about a year and wasn't allowed to like look out of windows because they were afraid for her safety. And from my understanding, now as an adult, she has a lot of psychological damage to the point where she's even attempted suicide and that her brother and Juan Pablo and his wife actually watch her and apparently she does live with them even after the amount of years just because of all of the psychological damage that they experienced and they even talk more about their life after their dad because I was wondering what happened so they were in hiding for a long time They had government protection, but after some time, the government was like, you know, good luck out there. And they were going to be killed because all of these other cartels were demanding money and demanding for all of the shares that Pablo had. And another thing that was just wild to me that wasn't included on the show was that Pablo's side of the family wanted all of Pablo's inheritance. Of course. Even the kids. So they went to rival cartels and told them to demand that from his own grandma. Wow. Went to rival cartels and was like, I want this inheritance from my grandkids. And they went to they went to court. Even I think everything got settled in 2014. He said that the last thing that he told his dad's side of the family was, y'all would be literally nothing without my dad. And the fact that y'all betrayed him and tried to take everything from us is just crazy he has no ties to his dad's side of the family now because of that which you know which yeah i wouldn't either that was just wild to me because pablo's family wasn't pablo's side of the family wasn't mentioned at all but i think it's also because a lot of them are still alive yeah so i think that his family was probably like you know leave us out of it but he just puts it all out there in this book and says the truth and he lists names which is also very interesting because you're able to like really see and put this put the puzzle pieces together so yeah they were on the run they had to pay people millions of dollars just so that they wouldn't kill them they ended up going to mozambique and they hated it there so then they went to argentina and that's actually where they've settled and they had their identity changes they went to school there they even spent some time in jail there he and his mother Uh, his mother spent almost two years in jail there for something that was related to pablo escobar and their identity as a family with him but it was actually something like totally different that had to do with like like a real estate fraud situation that they tried to pin them for, which all of the allegations ended up not being true. So eventually they did let them go. But it was just crazy because people were always out for them. And he just said that it sucked because he did feel so terrible for all of the people that lost their lives due to his dad's kidnappings because he was so obsessed with taking the government down. Mm -hmm. But that at the end of the day, you know, he said that the most impactful words that one of his dad's victims told him in person once is you're a victim too, you know, because you were a kid and you shouldn't have been exposed to that. And Juan Pablo himself, you know, as a 16-year-old, wasn't involved in any of his dad's dealings, but he had to 
deal with the years and years of trauma that right. followed. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, it's just, it's terrible. You know, like him and his, his describing like what their life was like after their dad died. They weren't even able to go to the funeral because there was threats that if they showed up that they would shoot them. They saw their dad die on television. So it was just a whole really messed up situation but at the same time again it would just it just blew my mind the amount of money that Pablo Escobar was able to obtain in Colombia to where even now you know there's like the theories that like there's still money hidden out there and there very well could be because he got to the point where he had so much money that he didn't know what to do that yeah, he if would... you're buying 30 motorbikes a year like... yeah <laughs> he would stuff millions of dollars in barrels and just bury them in different properties in Colombia and some of those maps, you know, got lost. So they weren't able to like really remember like where was where this are money barrels? Where was this where was this five million dollars buried? I don't know. And if I remember, this might not be correct, but I think that the Colum- Colombian government ha if you find if anybody ever goes digging and finds some of Pablo Escobar's money, that you have to turn it in to the government or you can get in a lot of trouble. Ugh, so no one's excited to go find it. No one well apparently people do try to secretly go and like go on these like treasure hunts to go find Pablo Escobar's money without the government knowing. I think like if you turn it in, they do give you like a little cut of something. But you know, there's people like treasure, like hardcore conspiracy theorists, treasure hunters that are like, I'll never get, I'll never give the government the money. Yeah, I found it. It's my historical barrel of money. (laughs) Yes. And so it's just... It's pretty awesome, you know, for anybody who, like, loves true crime and mm-hmm. just wants to learn about the top cocaine kingpin. Like, this... Or even people who have seen Narcos. And even people more. who have seen Narcos, yeah. And that's really, like, what inspired me to just look it up and read this. And, you know, according to reviews, this is the book to pick up, you know, if you really want, you know, a deep dive into the life and into the luxuries, which to me, that's the interesting part, the luxuries, (laughs) because I love to see that because I'm like, it's not possible. Like, you can't do that. How you can't steal a historical artifact. And then he was like, give it to a nine year old for his birthday. And it's cool because it's like little like little him whenever he's a teenager. And his dad actually made him give the sword back to a rival cartel you know as i guess some kind of like peace offering but he made uh, one of his dad's workers take a picture of him with it first and he's like oh, posing funny. with this like crazy historical artifact and he was like you know and he's like now that he's older and he's actually an architect and he was like you know now that i'm older and educated i realize like what i had in my hand you know yeah. and the fact that it's like why did I even have it in the first place? And he said that whenever his dad was like, we need to find it and give it back, that he had to like dig through his like storage <laughs> in his room because he was like, it's somewhere around here. It's and I'm like, that's crazy. I don't really use my ancient, not ancient, but you know, yeah. my, my, my historical artifact. artifact sword very much. So let me see if I put it under my PlayStation. I'm I kidding. know. Crazy. His mom had originals <laughs> from Salvador Dali. Oh, yeah, wow. she had. She was obsessed with paintings and art, mm-hmm. and so she, she had the right man. Yeah, she had some originals, and that was like her pride and joy. And it's just like I love reading the luxury. He talks about that a lot mm-hmm. in here, you know, and just like the amount of money that was spent on things was just wild because i'm just like i don't think i've ever even made that amount of money in all of my years (laughs) of life and you spent that in one night you know and like just 
crazy, crazy stuff. So a lot of people tend to think of true crime as more of your gritty, you know, unsolved murder cases kinds of things. I'm guessing, does this go into very much gritty detail on any of the crime side of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's it's interesting because then, like, his dad would did start, like, revealing to him how he, you know, accomplished these things and who he talked to. And, like, when it came to bombs, you know, he told his son that you know, this is how I achieve this. Because to me, that was also something that was interesting. It was like, how did he get these bombs? Who made these bombs for him? Yeah. How was he able to even place them there? So close to a government building. And he just had connections. He would contact, like, the top bomb maker, apparently, in Germany, flew him out and would pay him to just make his bombs. And even just little things. You know, he would say, like, how was it that his workers were so so trained and he would fly them out and basically to the top like military people in other countries and was like train my guys like he was very like he did his research which was just crazy interesting and then you know into some of the kidnappings he does you know get into detail as to how that was achieved and the way that they planned it and where they would move them around to and then ultimately how they were killed. It doesn't, you know, get into the super like a lot of it was also just very quick and simple. Yeah. Um, You know, it's like we had them, we were getting raided, so we panicked and shot them. And that's a lot of how it goes, just pretty fast paced. And I really enjoyed that because it wasn't like it wasn't like a, a mystery. He tells you, yeah, this is how my dad did it. And this is what resulted from my dad doing this. And I like that just because it's just a big book of interesting facts, really. (laughs) And you're not normally a nonfiction reader. So do you think if someone doesn't normally like nonfiction, this might still be a good book for them if they're interested in the subject? Oh, for sure. If they're interested in the subject, then for sure. Because his son is also a really good writer. I feel like he the detail he puts the right details in there for you to create that mental picture To where, you know, when he describes his mom's parties, it was so just like straight to the point. But it was like my mom would send, you know, personal designers to every single invited guest. They would spend about $100,000 on each guest to make their outfits. One time we celebrated the discovery of the Americas. We had three scale-sized ships sitting (laughs) in the lakes. What? And so, you know, you're able to get that picture. And like I'm picturing like three full-sized ships that were created mm-hmm. in the lakes and it's just like it's mind-blowing you know because it's straight to the point but like i can literally just see the luxury no mm-hmm. pun intended see see the yeah ships? because the ships yeah oh my gosh <laughs> i think that's a great place to end yes <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you so I much i think i have to go <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing an interesting nonfiction read that I think would appeal to a lot of our true crime readers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And stay tuned next week for more fantastic book recommendations. Bye. Bye. See ya.